2: Welcome in to Daily Face-Off Live, your go-to source for everything hockey. Live every weekday at noon Eastern.
0: Welcome in to another edition of Daily Face-Off Live. The week of just me hosting the show continues. And today my co-host is Matt Larkin. Matt, how's it going?
2: It's
3: good, Tyler. I feel like I'm, I'm very takey today. I have a lot of takes ready for you, so I'm excited. I like that.
0: I like that. I like that. It was a quiet night in the NHL last night in terms of the number of games, but those two games delivered a lot of entertainment. So let's jump right into things and throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and start with the Pittsburgh Penguins' big win. It was the first half of the doubleheader last night and on national TV, both north and south of the border. So figured we should start with it. The Penguins end their four-game slide. They get a big win over the Avalanche. This should give them a bit of a boost right you beat the defending stanley cup champions like i said you do it on national tv matt should give them a boost do you think it could last or is this just a win and a team that's still going to be struggling
3: it's just a win for me I, I admit i didn't know they had this one in them going up against a colorado team that has a lot of momentum these days but if you look at the big picture with the penguins they're limping along right now they're back you know every night it's going to be up and down from that last wild card spot But I'm just seeing this broken record effect year after year with this team. They have not won a playoff series in five years. And the reasoning is the same. This is the oldest team in the NHL. Average age is over 30. They are the third smallest team in the NHL. They have not changed their roster structure. We know what happens when you get to the playoffs. The refs put those whistles away. It's a different kind of game. And they get pushed out. So to me... You know, when you ask me, what do I think of the game last night and the Penguins in this playoff hunt? I think you have to look bigger and think, what are we doing here for the Pittsburgh Penguins? And I wrote about it today in Daily Faceoff. To me, they're starting to remind me of the Detroit Red Wings who had that 25-year playoff streak. At the end of that streak, you're limping along and you're just trying to make the playoffs. You're stuck in the murky middle. I'm seeing that with these Penguins right now. And I think you have to start wondering, is it a good thing to have this playoff streak as they're going for 17 years in a row? I'm not sure if it actually helps them in the long run.
0: It's like one of those things where you hear about people winning the lottery and then their lives get ruined because they go broke. It's like you want the 17-year p- or playoff streak because all the good fortune that comes with it, right? All that success in the moment. But you're right. When you're trying to hold on to that streak for as long as you can, you can actually have some detrimental effects. I think we've seen them make a couple of foolish moves over the last 12 months, but in the moment for them, they'll they'll kind of probably just say whatever. I mean, there's a reason they keep pushing their chips and They want to give Crosby, Malkin and Latang in that core as many chances to potentially go on some deep runs as they can. An encouraging sign, I'd say over their last couple of games is they're starting to really outshoot their opposition. Like the shots at 5 on 5 were 35 to 23 against the Colorado Avalanche. They're 44-17 at 5 on 5 against the Senators. They should have won that game if it wasn't for Dylan Ferguson standing on his head. Even the game they got out they got out scored 6 nothing against the rangers they still outshot them at 5 on 5 so maybe they're starting to go in the right direction you give no hope to Crosby Malkin and Latang finding just a little bit of playoff magic at some point here
3: I don't, because we say that every year. Hey, could they get a little okay. bit of magic? They're squeaking in. They've overcome injuries. They still have that decent core, of course. Sidney Crosby still playing an elite level, yeah. but it's not enough. And compare it again to the Red Wings a decade ago. You still had Datsuk, Zetterberg, Lidstrom at the end. That core from the championship years was there. It still wasn't enough when there's too much mediocrity in terms of the depth part of the lineup all around you.
0: Fair enough. That's how the night started. It was a big win for Sidney Crosby and his Pittsburgh Penguins. And then it was time for Connor McDavid and his Edmonton Oilers to shine. And maybe I shouldn't even use the word shine because McDavid, shone the rest of the Oilers were kind of mid in that game against the Arizona Coyotes. They barely cracked 30 shots by the end of the third period. But number 97 did his thing. He started the scoring with goal number 59. He ended the night with goal number 60. Second straight year, we've had a player in the NHL hit the 60 goal mark. McDavid doing it in just 72 games. It's been a remarkable run for the Oilers captain. One of the most productive seasons in NHL history when you consider the era. Matt, is 70 possible still for McDavid with just 10 games to go?
3: How crazy is it that this is a legitimate question? And it honestly is. We know McDavid. it is. It's it's legit. He's the fastest player to get 60. 72 games beats Austin Matthews by one game. Fastest since Mario Lemieux, which was 27 years ago. And if you look at the pace, just McDavid's entire season, 72-game sample size, he averages 8.33 goals per 10 games. He has 10 games left. So if he's just humming along at his quote-unquote average, that already puts him projected for 68 goals. And if you look at McDavid's career pattern, this guy is a finisher. He always has some kind of big milestone statistical benchmark to hit near the end of the season. He always turns it up. If you look at his career points per game, in March, April, and May, it's 1.69. Every other month, it's 1.42. So he always turns it up. And if I have to place a bet right now, I kind of feel like he's going to do it because we've seen him go on these late season runs before. And how can you bet against Connor McDavid in terms of anything right now?
0: Yeah. um, He's gone on long goal streaks this year. He had five straight games from February 21st to March 5th, where he scored multiple goals in every single one of those games. Had 10 goals over a five-game stretch. He can absolutely do it. He's shooting close to 20% this year, and he is ripping the puck as of late. That's the thing. You can tell he really wants it. Seven shots on net in back-to-back games for Connor McDavid. He could have scored three or four last night if a couple more bounces would have gone his way. The other thing, Edmonton's got some weak opponents down the stretch. Anaheim twice, San Jose twice, and Arizona once as well. There's five games where you could be like, hey, I could see him scoring six or seven just in those five alone, right?
3: Absolutely. And the way he's playing right now, he's just so explosive. He could score six in a two-game span and then just be walking to 70 by the end of it. He's just capable of anything right now. And I really think what we're seeing is... The most dominant offensive player since Wayne Gretzky, not since Mario oh, yeah. Lemieux, since Wayne Gretzky. He's on pace to win the scoring race by the biggest margin in 36 years.
0: Uh, Brendan in the YouTube chat says dry Settle with four assists was not mid. And I would say Ryan Nugent Hopkins with two goals was not mid either. I probably could have phrased that a little bit better. The Oilers big guns were the big guns. The rest of the team just really wasn't there last night, but the Oilers get a win and have their third five game winning streak of the season. Are they the best team in the Pacific? We're going to touch on that a little bit later with Cam Sharon. Let's head out east, though, to your neck of the woods, Matt Larkin, and talk a little bit about the Toronto Maple Leafs, who have a date tonight with the suddenly hot Florida Panthers, 7-2-1 in their last 10. And this is a big game for the Florida Panthers. For Toronto, maybe not so much in terms of the implications in the standings, although they're trying to hold off the lightning, I guess, for home ice advantage in round one. But the Leafs, 5-4-1 and in their last 10 games since the trade deadline 18th in points percentage in the nhl as well things have not gone smoothly since kyle dubas made all those big changes to the roster scale of one to ten matt how concerned are you with this little leaf slump
3: i would say an eight I think they have been quite bad, straight up bad. I think 5-4-1 is generous in terms of the actual record. I'm not surprised they took a big beating from the Islanders earlier this week. Before the trade deadline, they were fourth in 5-on-5 expected goals percentage. Since the trade deadline, 29th in the NHL. They have been a terrible defensive team. And what you have to hope if you're a Leafs fan is just that this is experimentation by Sheldon Keefe. Like you said, Tyler, there isn't much to determine in the standings and the Leafs have nine healthy NHL defensemen that they're sort of, they're cycling through, they're experimenting with the 11 and seven format, sometimes seven defensemen. So if you're an optimist, you have to hope that this is just the Leafs being willing to take some bad on ice results as they try to find their chemistry. But otherwise, There's just no way to sugarcoat it this has been a bad hockey team since march 1st
0: the one thing you mentioned how poor they've been defensively and they got a lot of nhl quality defensemen ahead of the deadline but now they're trying to mix them all into the lineup do you think is is there maybe something to be said there's too many cooks in that kitchen right now like they can't find chemistry no one in terms of the guys playing on the second and third pairing can get in a groove because guys are getting funneled in and out of the lineup like crazy
3: Yes, absolutely. And I asked Morgan Riley about that point blank last week because I noticed his ice time is way down. And I said, what do you think of this for your rhythm? And he just said, it's different. And Morgan Riley is not a man of few words. He's someone who usually has a lot to say. So I thought that spoke volumes. That was the answer. It's different. That's all he had to say. So I don't know how happy all these defensemen are with this big reduction in their ice time right now.
0: Another name that's popping up there is Matthew Nyes. We've heard about him all season, turning pro. What kind of impact could he have, if any?
3: I think there is potential for an immediate impact here. If you think about the Leafs and their forward depth, it's been sort of a revolving door all throughout the lineup at the left wing. And he's sort of considered a unicorn by scouts. He has a very unique skill set. He's a big, big guy, but he's got soft hands. So he can bring the size, the physicality, but also a nice scoring touch, which means you could play him on Any different line, really, assuming he's ready for prime time. I could see an impact kind of like Chris Kreider coming out of college in 2012. He had five goals in the playoffs. So I wouldn't be surprised if Matthew Nyes is making the impact once he turns pro, which will be after the NCAA tournament is over.
0: Connor McDavid, we just talked about him a little bit. Year eight of his NHL career coming to a close at some point here. And we have not seen him wear a Team Canada jersey as a professional player. You got to go back and we have an article up at Daily Faceoff about McDavid's comments yesterday. He's wearing his World Junior jersey. That's the only photo you can find of the guy representing Team Canada. It is insane. I'll preface this. I know the global pandemic kind of threw some things for a loop. But still, Connor McDavid sounding off after the sports world was buzzing about the Shohei Otani versus Mike Trout at bat that ended the World Baseball Classic. McDavid kind of saying, hey, this is another sign that we got to figure it out. The sport of hockey, the NHL needs to get back to having some kind of best on best tournament. I think the NHL has quite frankly used a lot of things, even the pandemic to some extent, as an excuse. And it's not really that big of a reason for why they couldn't pull off events like this. To me, there should be nothing standing in the way of next fall or whenever you want to do it, a World Hockey or World Cup of Hockey. Put it in Toronto. There's two ranks there you can use. Players are always coming through that area. To me, the NHL is just lining up lame excuses and not getting this done. Do you have any hope that they'll figure it out in the near future here, Matt?
3: I'm not overly hopeful. And it's really sad. You know, Conor McDavid, it's not like he speaks out on many issues, but there's almost nothing that makes him perk up and express himself like the concept of best on best. He really cares about it. And that's telling if your biggest superstar feels this way. And like you said, Tyler, it's all about excuses. And right now, the big excuse is the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The NHL has been uncomfortable going forward with a World Cup because they don't know what will happen in terms of the Russian participation. Will they have to bar certain players from participating? And because of that, we can't get the guarantee of a 2024. And what's Troublesome about that is if you start thinking about 2025, well, then you're only a year away from the next Winter Olympics. Is the NHL willing to pause its schedule two years in a row? I don't think so. So I think you're gonna get one or the other if that happens. So if you do get the 2025 World Cup, maybe that puts the 2026 Olympics in jeopardy, which would also be too bad. So unfortunately, my spirit is being broken. I was usually the optimist about best on best, But the NHL just doesn't seem to have the appetite for putting the effort in. I see no reason why they couldn't make it happen for next year without Russia.
0: Yeah, I mean, that seems like an easy one, right? To say, hey, we're not having Russian athletes or don't let them play under their flag. Have them do what the Olympics did, right? When they had the doping scandal, like, hey, you can play as the uh, hockey player. I don't know how you would do it, but there's ways around it. It would just involve some work. And even the whole, like, ah, the planning of it, blah, blah, blah this is the league that did a great job putting on an entire tournament with way more teams in a bubble in the middle of a pandemic. You're telling me you cannot figure something out in Toronto or in a Vancouver. Just pick a big Canadian market, put it there, have these guys show up two weeks before they would go to their cities for training camp and do a good proper event. It makes no sense and hockey fans are being robbed of some really, really great best on best moments. It's a damn shame. Uh, Let's move along to our big segment today and get to the number crunch. Hiring for your
3: small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
0: Cam Sharon and the number crunch. Always a pleasure to welcome you back to the show, Cam. We spent the a little bit of the first part of the show talking about Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers, but you want to zero in on another Pacific Division team. A few weeks ago, you were on the show talking about how you saw the Kings as a team that was about to regress because of their strong record in one goal game. Since then, add Corpusalo, add Gavrikov. They're 7-0-2, best team in the NHL. I, I'll put you on the spot. What did you get wrong, Cam?
1: Oh man, what didn't I get wrong? Basically, what's like there's a lot of things that's happened with the Kings uh, after they added uh, Vlad Gavrikov, but I think the 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 biggest thing for me is that it's kind of pushed Sean Dersey out of the lineup. He was playing on a second pair role for them, and I just think that he wasn't the type of player uh, to be able to handle NHL forwards. And now that he's been able to move down, uh, we'll we'll get to it a little bit later, but we'll see uh, the difference in their defensive pairings. But just um, they, you know, obviously, a lot of things like they're they're shooting a lot better. They're shooting the lights out, actually, uh, at, at five on five, uh, and their save percentages, of course, uh, jump as well. But just also as well, they have so many they have so many depth they have so much depth throughout the lineup. Uh, they have so many strong forwards. It's not just that top line of Kopitar and, uh, and Kempa. They've been having some fantastic seasons. But you look down the lineup. Uh, Quentin Byfield's been playing great for them. Uh, their fourth line, Carl Grundstrom. They've just been getting all these pieces throughout, and there was an interesting piece on the Athletic yesterday about uh, about whether hockey's a strong link or a weak or a weak link game. And the thing with um, uh, the thing with uh, with with the Kings is that they're sorry. Can you guys hear me right now?
0: Yeah, yeah, we got yours. My
1: no okay, okay, good. Uh, my internet's been a little wonky. But Yeah, the thing with the Kings is that they're. Uh, they don't have a lot of really strong players on that team. They don't have a lot of superstars in the 80th percentile, and wins above replacement are better, or our uh, our approximation of wins above real replacement. So, so it's basically like a lot of, uh, of very strong depth pieces that have really been able to to drive this team forward. And what's interesting for me is uh is it's their is, is yeah it's their depth, but also um. Uh, their, center, their strength of schedule. Uh, they're seven 0 two in the last nine, but they've only played two playoff teams in that in that span. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Florida from last year, where they only played uh, four games against playoff teams after the trade deadline. So we didn't get a really good read on on exactly what the the changes that the deadline did to them. Um, so we'll see, You know, so so just kind of being able to to beat up on some weaker opponents. Uh, they played, They beat Colorado. That was fine. But, you know, they haven't really uh, played those, uh, those. And they've, they've also uh, wrapped up the entire season against the Eastern Conference. And those are the toughest teams. Power play's been good all year. Penalty kills, really, their only weakness at five. At, uh, their penalty kills, their only weakness right now. Uh, they're still 21st, even since the deadline in that regard. Um, and what I wanted to point out about, the, about the, the defense pairs was just the scoring chance against for 60 minutes against the first pair. Uh, has been strong all season, and really, you can see the improvement when they moved uh, from Jersey to Gavrikov on the second pair. Uh, we see a big decline in. Uh, I had a chart for this. Uh, we we have a big decline. Here we go. Uh, yeah, so we see a big decline in. Uh, I'm nothing with my visuals. Um, the 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 Roy pair uh, before was above NHL average in terms of scoring chances against per 60 minutes and obviously it's better with Gavrikov the third pair that's uh Alex Edler and Sean Walker purview they don't really play a whole lot of minutes so I'm not going to worry too much about that especially as we get to the playoffs when you know your third pair just doesn't really play all that much um and the one thing I want to say uh a really underappreciated player in the NHL right now on that first pair it's Drew Doughty, of course a lot of accolades everyone knows who he is the guy on the left side of the pairing Mikey Anderson who according to Corey Schneider of uh Of all three zones.com. Shout out to his work. He's one of the top defenders in the NHL in terms of zone denials. Very strong defensive player. Maybe not getting a ton of accolades right now. Uh, I think he's really locked down one of the top defensive, uh, top pairings in hockey. You know, a lot of the times we'll find that those top pairs actually give up a lot more scoring chances because they happen to play against the top parent they play against top lines that's not really happening in los angeles uh mikey anderson drew Dowd, who have been doing a fantastic job all season and it's really shown up in the goals against as well
3: cam i wanted to to pivot and ask you about the nhlpa player poll that came out earlier this week and alexander Barkov is picked as the most underrated player in the nhl this is a guy who was captain of the president's trophy winners last year he's got a selkie trophy what do you think of of that idea of Barkov being "quote unquote" underrated?
1: I think it's uh, it's it's an awful thing uh, that that we we just turn on the you know we make the the best player on a Sunbelt team as the most underrated. I don't think that that's the that's how we should think about it at all. Uh, no, I don't think any any casual fan would wouldn't be able to tell you that's that Alexander Barkov is a top ten, top five center in this in this league, and. I think it's a really, you know, it's really stretching the definition of what underrated means. As you said, this guy, you know, has been getting all these votes, uh, you know, left and right. Uh, Generally, uh, I found that the underrated players, they just uh, linger in the Sun Belt and then they wind up on the Canucks and they aren't very good. Uh, I think the player that's actually the most underrated in the NHL right now, and I kind of realized this after this goal last night against Sam Girard, where he completely cooked Girard, is Sidney Crosby. He's a guy that is probably you know he's probably dragging the the Penguins to the playoffs right now. He's really been the only consistent force for the Penguins at five on five all season long. Uh, he's just been just been maintaining that fifty five percent on ice goals four percentage. Um, Malkin uh, isn't having a great season at five on five, and the depth has been atrocious. And yet Pittsburgh is still right there. Big win over Colorado last night. And he's you know it's all it's just been driven by crosby completely he's 10th in scoring over the last three seasons he's uh he's he's barely sniffed any uh end of season awards ballots i think he should you know obviously the the, the awards gonna go to mcdavid this year the heart uh that, that's no question for me but you know i think that crosby should show up as uh, as third fourth fifth on a, on a lot of ballots and i don't know if he's getting a ton of buzz right now but i just think at the end of his career we're gonna look back at you know he's closing on 1500 career points uh he's he won the scoring title and, or the rocket Richard in four separate seasons we're gonna see oh he he only won two heart trophies that doesn't seem like an like enough for uh for Sidney crosby who's one of the all-time greats
0: yeah and uh a point with barkov too uh, he finished third in the most complete player voting as well which would contradict the idea that he's underrated as well uh just quickly final 60 seconds of the hit here cam the panthers down the stretch what are you looking for from them as they try to get into the playoffs
1: well, this isn't a this isn't a team that I've been able to watch a whole bunch uh, because I you know I'm I'm really only able to focus on the teams playing the Canucks and the Leafs unfortunately with uh, with the work I've taken on. Uh, but I get a I get to see the Panthers twice in the next two weeks here, and you know they were a team that could really outscore their problems last year. They weren't able to do that at the start of this year, and I think you guys touched on it earlier. Uh, this, is, uh, this is this is this a recipe for disaster. You know, uh, whoever is starting for the Leafs tonight, probably Matt Murray, is going to see a lot of a lot of rubber. Florida's one of the top uh, scoring teams in the league and since uh, all the changes Toronto's just been bleeding shots against I think there's a lot of various reasons for that but uh, yeah just the fact that Florida' has been able to outscore their problems they've been able to uh, to, to really settle into to what their top six looks like uh, Anton Lundell has has come around he's having uh, he's looking like the player he was last year uh, this is a this is a very good hockey team and uh, and I think that the if you're at the top of the Eastern Conference right now, you're really hoping that Pittsburgh can put it all together and keep Florida out of the playoffs.
0: Fair enough. There you go, Cam. Appreciate your work. Love the insight. As always, we'll chat again next week.
1: Yeah. See you guys.
0: Our guy, Jeremiah, nice and fired up in the chat. Sidney Crosby, not underrated. You media guys never stop talking about Crosby. Colorado's get, missing their entire right side. Makar Manson Johnson, the TNT broadcast, said his name 12,000 times last night. Hey, man, I, I do kind of agree with you on that. He does add uh, Jesper Bratt, super underrated. I would agree with that as well, Jeremiah. Uh, daily face-off inbox question time. Matt Larkin, hashtag ask DFO. Brad Marchand deleted his Twitter account he joked in a media conference that he didn't want to pay for it uh this feels like a guy who was just zeroing in ahead of a playoff run but the question is fill in the blank Marchand deactivating his Twitter is blank
3: it means it, it's it okay, I have to use the word is is a sign that he means business so if you look at the Boston Bruins bad Marchand he wins a cup in 2011 as a rookie he loses in the final in 2013 and 2019 this is his best shot while Patrice Bergeron, his buddy, and David Krejci are still there. And Marshawn, we know he's very active on Twitter. He's going after those trolls. Maybe it became a distraction for him. It sort of reminds me, if you're a baseball fan, the Toronto Blue Jays taking away the home run jacket this year. Uh, yeah. Because it's a sign that they moved business. And that's the vibe I'm getting from Bad Marchand that he wants to focus on trying to go all the way this year.
0: I'll say Marchand deactivating his Twitter is bad for us, Matt. I feel like we've been able to rely on a good, solid Brad Marchand take to turn into an article like once every two weeks so far this season. And now we won't get that? Damn. It's too bad for uh, all the content creators out there because Brad Marchand on Twitter was entertaining. And I'd even say it was good for the sport to have one guy who is outspoken and is okay buying into his villain role.
3: I couldn't agree more. We don't have enough players who are willing to stick their necks out and just show personality. And I love that Marshawn was embracing the villain role. It was super entertaining on Twitter. So I'm hoping maybe by the off season that the account makes a comeback.
0: Yeah, me too. Uh, let's move along. Points bet daily bets. Another sweep yesterday. I am red hot for honestly, one of the first times in a while. So I lined up another couple plays for tonight starting with a road dog in the New York Rangers. They're taking on the Carolina Hurricanes and I honestly think this one could be priced at a pickem when you look at how these two teams are playing right now. Rangers 6-3 and one in their last 10. Yeah, the Canes are 7-3 and 0, but I like the Rangers cuz they've been a good road team so far this season and you know Hurricanes no Svechnikov I think that should move the line a little bit as well why not take a stab at the Rangers plus 125 I love getting a good team at plus money on the road and I also have a player prop for tonight I'm doing the over one and a half shot prop parlay Taylor Radish, Pavel Buchnevich. Radish has been one of my favorite bets all season. His line is one and a half. So is Buchnevich. They've both hit it a majority of the games in their last 10. I like the spot. Play them together. It's plus 145 for Radish and Buchnevich with their shot props. So that and the Rangers give me another couple solid plus money bets this evening. Mr. Larkin, I will throw it back to you to wrap up our show with some garbage time.
3: Okay, for garbage time, Tyler, I want to address uh, the Chicago Blackhawks decision to uh, sort of sit out the Pride Night festivities, if you will, there won't be any warm up jerseys, anything like that. And to me, you know, we could go into a debate about just this sort of rise and homophobic ideologies dating back to when Ivan Provorov sat out. But even just beyond that. I just want to call out the sport right now. It just feels like the NHL in particular, they are insulting our intelligence with this parade of excuses that are just, they don't, they're contradictory. They don't make sense. You look at James Reimer on the grounds of his religion, he works on the Sabbath. He wears clothing that has two types of cloth. And then now, last night, where the Chicago Blacks are, the Hawks are trying to protect their Russian players for their safety. The San Jose Sharks, the same game where where James Reimer sat out for his reasons, they had three Russian players playing in that game. Now we're saying that, oh, those players were safe. There's three Blackhawks players that weren't safe. I just think if you're going to have an ideology that is homophobic, just be upfront about it. At least acknowledge that because it's already insulting enough. And this is just, to me, it's just sad. It's so thinly veiled. And the other thing is the NHL claiming to respect individuals' choices. That was the initial sentiment when Provorov made his stance. And yet you have a team in Chicago actually not respecting the allies, the LGBTQ allies' choices by removing the ability to wear these sweaters. Great so point. again, contradictory messaging, I'm really sick of it. If you're not gonna be on the side of the allies, at least be honest that you're choosing with the side that is bigoted.
0: Yeah, I. that's a great point. The whole, we respect individual choices, if Provorov or whoever don't wanna wear it, you know, that's their call okay but now for the Hawks no one's allowed to wear it like it's very weird and it sucks that again you almost saw it coming when Pro Rob did his thing that's why I was so fired up about that is because he opened the door for this kind of stuff to keep happening and I listen whatever side of the debate you're on I think we can all agree that it's just so annoying that we need to have these debates in hockey I really wish this wouldn't have become a story um but yet here we are in 2023 Uh, arguing over stuff like this it's wildly annoying that the sport of hockey can't get out of its own way the nhl loves using russia as an excuse whether it's for this or for why they can't have a best on best tournament it's uh coming in handy i suppose which is a terrible way to put it uh that's a wrap on today's show great work today matt larkin great work everyone in the youtube chat who was nice and fired up as well it is a big night in the nhl plenty of games with playoff implications you enjoy that we'll be back right here tomorrow at noon eastern time to break it all down
2: ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well